Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And this is our Your State Youth segment with the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, Max Page, and the vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, Deb McCarthy. Of course, we have the president with us on a weekly basis. Deb McCarthy, it's such a pleasure to have you back with us as well. For those of our listeners who don't know, Deb McCarthy, as the vice president of the MTA, has had a significant, important, and I think distinguished uh, leadership role. She was, as well, a fifth-grade teacher in the town of Hull for some 25 years. Deb McCarthy, thank you for joining us. Max, you as well. The two of you were featured. I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but you were prominently noted, and you had your own uh, editorial in the Boston Globe. There was a counter uh, piece you were writing in favor of the ballot initiative to eliminate MCAS as a graduation requirement. There was a rebuttal piece uh, saying, oh, no, 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 MCAS is great, um, in some arguments that I didn't think were terribly logical, but there they were. So I would appreciate knowing from you, too, where does this fight for MCAS elimination as a graduation requirement, where does it stand? What does it look like? Does the Globe's apparent continued endorsement of MCAS, which it has done for years, um, make a difference? Tell us about this. Let's start with Deb McCarthy. And by the way, Deb, uh, before you speak and our listeners have a chance to hear you, uh, where, where did you, you were raised in the town of Hull? Yes, um, I have lived uh, in the town all my life, a town where my mother was an educator for almost 50 years. Um, a school system that all four of my children attended and that I was lucky enough to teach for 25 years. Um, but unfortunately, I needed to leave the classroom because the harm of this high-stakes testing regime was literally um, not only sucking the joy out of the classroom, but it was robbing um, me the opportunity to educate the whole child. And so I left the classroom so that I could use my voice full time uh, to resist the reduction of our students to a score for profit's sake. Where does the fight to eliminate MCAS as a graduation requirement stand today? And I preface that question with this notation, which is, as I understand it, the MTA is not saying eliminate MCAS despite what these uh, people who are endorsing MCAS is saying. The MTA is not saying that. They're saying don't have it as a graduation requirement. You can have it as an assessment tool, all sorts of things that can be used for, but not to keep kids from getting a high school diploma, those kids who have completed high school successfully. So where does this fight stand? Max, you well, want to address Bill, that? Go ahead. I can, yeah, I can give you the, the quick su summary, which is that what um, we have filed an initiative petition, which means we're gathering very rapidly um, 75,000 or so signatures that we need to put this on the November 2024 ballot. And it is people are literally lining up to sign this ballot initiative. And that would, as you said, eliminate the the use of the MCAS to deny um, a, a diploma to someone. It does get rid of the MCAS. That is a federal requirement. So the MCAS and whatever diagnostic value it may or may not have will still be with us, will still be offered every year from third grade on. Um, we also were at the state house with hundreds of others 
to lobby for the and speak to the Thrive Act, which eliminates the high stakes testing for MCAS as a graduation requirement, but also gets rid of the receivership law that has sent our own Holyoke out here and Southbridge near Worcester and, and Lawrence, north of Boston, into receivership, which means um, loss of democratic control of the schools um, to very to no good effect and actually really more destructive effect. And the final thing the Thrive Act does that we've been advocating for, and many of our members did the other day, was to create a commission to develop a far better, authentic, whole child way of looking at our how well our schools are and and individual students are doing. So that's that's where things stand right now. The Thrive Act has now been heard by the Education Committee, and we will be advocating for its passage, and we will continue to gather signatures for our ballot initiative. If the Thrive Act passes, does the ballot initiative become uh, moot with regard to the MCAS anyway? If the Thrive Act passes as written, yes, because that would do it would achieve what we have put on the ballot. If they were to pass it exactly as written, then yes, that would effectively um, pass our you know the element of the ballot initiative. The legislature can also, after we've gathered signatures, pass our ballot initiative. It is if we get the signatures, as we will, it gets presented to the legislature as a piece of legislation and they can accept it. And then we would be uh, very pleased and would not uh, have to go to the ballot. But we are fully prepared to go there. Uh, Deb, this is Buzz. Uh, what did you mean when you said the whole child is what you want to teach to? Well, so currently in our classrooms, we are focusing on standardized curriculum. In many places, it is scripted, and it is focused on test-taking skills. Um, one of the biggest, I think, uh, misnomers that, and in some cases, I believe it's deliberate, is this whole alarm over uh, the so-called crisis with these third-grade reading scores. One, the MCAS measures standards. It does not measure reading, right? And so I get really upset when folks who are not in the know, who are not in the classroom, who are not skilled, professional, highly educated reading instructors claim that this test that is focused on standards and not reading say that it's a crisis because as a fifth grade teacher, I purposely went and got my training in Orton Gillingham because I had some readers who were dyslexic. So I had the proficiencies and the skills to provide intervention to help these students with decoding and phonics instruction. However, the fifth grade MCAS reading test is not a test that measures reading skills. It is standard-based. And we would deprive that opportunity because I had to teach to the skill set of comparing and contrasting, identifying theme, and not being provided the opportunity for holistic reading instruction. I would appreciate it, Deb McCarthy uh, and Max Page, uh, respectively the vice president and president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, if you would speak to this. MCAS requires teachers to teach their students how to take a test. And it's my understanding that teaching the students how to take a test 
actually takes a lot of time and takes time away from instruction and teaching and educating, and that it actually tends to not uh, give as accurate an assessment as if the kids had just taken the test. So if we eliminate MCAS as a graduation requirement, does it actually allow teachers more time, energy, and attention to teach? Max, why don't you start, and then we'll ask the second question of Deb. So short answer is yes. Um, if in many schools, especially schools of where low-income students go, there is greater pressure and there are greater time um, devoted to or forced to be devoted to preparing for the MCAS test. I talked to one of our educator leaders in Framingham was saying effectively it's something like three weeks um, just in administering all the tests for all the different kids. You can't move forward with some kids if other kids are taking, you know, are taking a version of the test that it really occupies a lot of time and directs what happens. And, and that includes changing the curriculum around in order to fit when, in, with this, in with this test. So we see this, this is one of the most common complaints we have from our members who say, this is an insult in many ways to our professionalism. We have high standards in this state, and that is what the curriculum is built around. But to then say everyone needs to be focused on and prep for this one, time standardized test is really undermining um, the, the quality of education that can be offered. Deb McCarthy, would you like to add to that? Yes. So uh, the other day uh, I submitted as part of my testimony a 10-page document that superintendents and administrators received this year. The 10 pages detail all of the dates and all of the tests in a school year for that district. Our schools have become testing warehouses. In my district, we were testing kids at the beginning of the school year to get a baseline, in December to get a middle, right before the MCAS. Then we had the MCAS, then at the end of the year to get uh, summative. We were putting them online to practice these test-taking skills. And these are skills that are not necessary in the 21st century. I talked about a student the other day who showed up at a Zoom conference, and the reason that she stood out on her job was the fact that she was an effective public speaker, that she was able to meet the metrics of a performance assessment task, that she worked effectively in a group, and more importantly, that she was able to take knowledge and apply it to a real-world situation. These skills are not measured, on the MCAS, um, and even more devastating, I talk about this a lot, but we're asking everybody in the classroom to run a 100-yard dash in 60 seconds. Some students don't start at the same starting line. They don't have the sneakers. They don't have the opportunities. They don't have the same training before the race starts. And if they don't meet the 60 seconds, we then say that they are failing and we make them run and run and run and run and run until they can get to the 60 seconds. But the problem is they may be the student in the classroom who jumps higher than anybody else, but we never measure that skill set. We are simply measuring them on a metric of 60 seconds. But then even more profoundly devastating is we norm references. So the following year, depending on how many kids did the 60 seconds, we may then change it to make it 70 seconds. So 
we are causing a lot of harms for a one-time test score. I'd like to ask you both about the harm because the counter piece in the Globe said Max Page and Deb McCarthy are making a mountain out of a molehill. There are not that many kids who are denied high school diplomas because of their failure to meet the MCAS requirement. What's your response to that? Let's start with you, Max, then we'll go to Deb. Sure. Well, so 700 kids, that's like the size of the high school I went to, Amherst Regional High School, um, every year who are denied um, a diploma purely for um, the fact that even though they passed all the other courses uh, over 12 years, it's then this one-time test denies them a diploma. That's not, that's not nothing. But as we've said, it also really perverts the rest of the curriculum as educators, even in uh, even in whatever middle class or upper upper class districts, it forces them to take to spend a lot of time focused around around this test. So this is not only about it is not only about how it discriminates against low income students, um, students with disabilities, English language learners, but really it undermines um, the education in in all our schools. So I think that's that's simply wrong to say, you know, Bill. Let me just say this: we should trust our educators. They're the one. You know, we can you can listen to the Globe or you can listen to these organizations, the Mass Business Alliance for Education and others. But we, Deb and I, hear educators over and over over many years saying this is a core part of undermining what they are able to do in their classrooms, and that to me is the most important thing. And I would just add, uh, I find it so callous and obscene the way they throw that number out. Oh, it's just 700. I mentioned that um, I've lived all my life in the town of Hull. So this uh, population of 10,020, well, more than 10,400 students have been denied an opportunity <laughs> for a diploma. My entire town, when you look at those numbers, or if you look at, I've been teaching for 25 years with an average of 22 students in my classroom. That's 550 students. So every student in my 25-year career is still not meeting 700 in one year. And every one of those students is a relationship. Every one of those students has potential and promise, and we are denying them that opportunity based upon a one-time test score. And I had a different perspective on that, which is that if the high school's curriculum for determining who deserves a diploma actually comes out and shows you who is deserving of a diploma and has earned that diploma, and MCAS corroborates that, why do we need to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars and tens of thousands of hours wasting time on MCAS when it doesn't tell you anything? We're going to be right. That's right. I mean I mean, test scores, I mean, grades of, of by our educators are a better reflection and a better, uh, you know, prediction of how students are going to do later on. Right. And what we know about the MCAS, which the, which the Globe and others just, just want to run away from, the durable fact, which is that those scores so closely tie, tie to family income and education of the parents. So we're proving over and over again, there's enormous inequality in our society. We're not proving what kids have actually learned. We're going to be right back with Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, Deb McCarthy, the vice president, right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Hockey Inside the Mullen Center starts this Saturday as the Minutemen open the season with a Western Mass clash against AIC at 7 p.m. To purchase tickets, log on to umassathletics.com slash tickets or call 1-866-UMASS-TICKS. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. Are you or someone you know addicted to drugs? Narcotics Anonymous can help. NA has been helping addicts since 1953. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. We offer meetings and services online and in person. To find one of our meetings or to get information on what services are offered, visit www.westernmassna.org or call us at 1-866-NA-HELP-YOU. That's 1-866-624-3578. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Deb McCarthy, who's the vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, longtime fifth grade teacher in the town of Hull, and Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We have been talking about MCAS and the ballot initiative that is ongoing at this point to to stop MCAS from being a graduation requirement. Not to be used. It will continue to be used as an assessment tool, but it won't prevent kids from getting their diploma that they have earned. Deb McCarthy, the question comes up regularly. Are you going to replace MCAS with something uh, if this ballot initiative passes and or the legislature passes a law that effectively uh, does the same thing as what the ballot initiative would accomplish? What's the answer to the question about the alternative? So one, and again, I just want to make sure that people understand the MCAS aren't going anywhere, but the alternative that is really important that we need to transition to for authentic assessments are these performance assessment tasks. Uh, I think a concrete example that may help the listener understand, in fifth grade before uh, there was so much emphasis on the MCAS, I would give uh, an assignment that asks the students to design a playground, a uh, green space playground. This performance assessment task uh, involved the student being able to answer questions around math formulas. They had a written component. They had to present it. These types of performance assessment tasks, which the MCIEA has, which are happening in communities like Winchester, 
uh, where the co-chair of the Education Commission, Jason Lewis, resides. Um, we have, and so that's why passing the Thrive Act is so important because it creates that commission that allows us to move forward to 21st century assessment skills. I want to talk about with you both about another aspect of the Thrive Act, which it has to do with school receiverships. But before we leave MCAS, is there anything that people can do at this point? You're engaged in trying to uh, acquire 25,000, 75,000 signatures. Anything people can do, our listeners can do to be of assistance? Absolutely. Bill, I mean, people go right to massteacher.org, and right off the front page is a whole series of things they can do, both for the Thrive Act, but also get involved in the signature gathering for the ballot initiative. And this weekend, all over the state, at every farmer's market, and every town fair, I know in East Hampton, in my town, town um, farmer's market in Amherst, there will, we will have people um, collecting signatures, and we would love it to have people, um, anyone, come out and support that. Let's turn to one other aspect of the legislation, if we could, please, and that is this question of receivership. Holyoke and its school system have been in receivership for years and years and years. What's the status of that? Max? So Holyoke, indeed, is one of those that has been in receivership now. What is it, five, eight, eight years almost? Um, to very, it's, it, What's clear is these receiverships have not worked. They have failed. Um, what they do is they unsettle the old district. They send um, educators fleeing. And other educators don't want to be there. There's massive turnover. There is unity in Holyoke that it's time to get out of the receivership. The mayor, our union leaders are all eager for that. We understand that the the commission, the commissioner of education, is you know hoping to get Lawrence, that's the, one of the other receivership districts, out this year. Holyoke maybe next year. We think it should happen faster, and this is key, is we have to change the law. This was a failed experiment going back to the 2010 Achievement Gap Act. The best I can say is, okay, it was an experiment. It failed, and you know, not, don't just trust us. The Globe did a major study of this. It has failed, these takeover districts, and therefore um, we, need to, we need to end that, and we need to get Holyoke back under Democratic control um, with the new investments that we in the MTA won through the Student Opportunity Act. And Max, this is Buzz, and, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. The fact that that is part, eliminating receivership and restoring d- democratic control is part of the th- same Thrive Act, which deals with eliminating high-stakes graduation <coughs> requirements uh, in the form of MCAS. What's the relationship with, between the two that puts them both within the, the penumbra of the Thrive Act? That is, is it the democratic and local control Involved in both? No, it's a good question, Buzz. The The main thing is that the MCAS, as a high-stakes test, is the centerpiece of when they decide, when they, being the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, say, it's time to take over this district or that district. Or we're, it's, we're trying to say, this, this school is failing. The number one thing they use is MCAS scores. So that's another com- high-stakes component. Takes test and it becomes this uh, way of right. justifying a state takeover, either either of an individual school district, the schools like in Boston, or even the zone it's called in in Springfield, or whole districts like in Holyoke. So that's that law has to be changed. We, we want Holyoke out of receivership, and we want to get rid of that law. Deb McCarthy, we'll leave the last word to you. Yeah, well, on receivership, I would just add too that the communities who are being harmed the most are the communities with the highest percentage of our English language learners because the MCAS is giving um, 
for many of these students in their first year when they have yet to even um, learn the language, and yet we are testing them and assessing them um, and then putting the district into receivership. We are going to leave it there. We have been speaking with Deb McCarthy, who is the vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Max Page, who is the president. Thank you both for your leadership. Thanks for your time and your insights. We really appreciate your being with us. Thank you. So much. Bye-bye. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Massachusetts House lawmakers unveiled a bill yesterday that would ban individuals from carrying a gun into a person's home without their permission and require key gun components be serialized and registered with the state. The bill would create new laws that bar firing guns at or near homes and outlaw carrying firearms while intoxicated. It would also prohibit firearms from being carried in schools, polling places, and government buildings. The bill is in part a response to the 2022 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that Americans have a right to carry firearms in public for self-defense. Kara Rintala has been found guilty of voluntary manslaughter for killing her wife in their Granby home in 2010. The trial before Hampshire Superior Court Judge Francis Flannery lasted for a month, beginning September 6 with the jury selection and ending with yesterday's verdict after the jury deliberated for two and a half days. This was the fourth trial for Rintala, with the first two resulting in deadlocked juries. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia wants more police patrols as part of a strategic plan to end gun violence in the city. The mayor spoke out following a shooting on Wednesday that resulted in the death of a baby. I'm very aware of the issues that are going on in the streets and are the issues that keep me up at night every single day. Here we have a situation that is unbearable. Wednesday afternoon, a pregnant woman was struck by a stray bullet while riding a bus on Sargent Street, resulting in the emergency delivery and death of the baby. Two suspects have been identified as Alejandro Ramos and John Luis Sanchez of Holyoke. Cloudy today with scattered showers and patches of drizzle, a high of 68 to 72. The patchy drizzle and occasional showers continue tonight. Evening temperatures will be in the 60s, an overnight low of 56 to 62. Rain and drizzle tomorrow, 64 to 68. Breezy mix of sun and clouds, upper 50s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. The future of joint pain relief is here. It's QC Kinetics, advanced regenerative medicine. This is amazing stuff. If you've been told more steroids or surgery are your only options, don't move so fast. Get a second opinion and learn more about how you can harness your body's own healing agents to attack that joint pain. I'm talking about lasting relief. QC Kinetics doesn't mask the pain. These treatments go to the very root of the problem. Using concentrated healing properties placed directly in your aching joints to restore and repair 
that damaged tissue. Imagine living your life this fall with no more pain in your knees, hips, shoulder, or back, and without drugs, downtime, or surgery. Listen, life is about motion, and QC Kinetics is giving people their lives back with these all-natural treatments. Call the local medical professionals and get a free consultation today. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Franklin County has a vibrant history of farming. At the Franklin County House of Correction, we bring that history to life with education and vocational programs around farming and gardening. Incarcerated men and women learn to work in active organic garden. Best of all, they harvest, they send home to help support and feed their families. This is Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and I can't think of better therapy than farming and feeding your family. That's the history of Franklin County, and we honor it at the Sheriff's Office every day. Welcome back to our show, Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid, who sent me a text this morning telling me he was in New Mexico on his way to Virgin Galactic Spaceport, and then he sent a, f- a couple of photographs of road signs, one of which says, Exit 32, Spaceport America, next right. And then there were some other road signs as well. This one I particularly like, Truth or Consequences This Way. Vertical launch area that way. <laughs> wow. Where are you? What are you doing? Professor Salman Hamid, talk to us. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sorry, I have to be pretty brief. Uh, I am at a spaceport. So this is the Virgin Galactic uh, sort of like space tourism uh, place here. And you've heard of sort of like SpaceX and uh, Blue Origins, so Jeff Bezos and um, the Tesla guy, <laughs> Musk. Uh, their space program. And so the, there is another one also, which is Virgin Galactic. And they are also getting people up in space. I am here because there is a uh, Pakistani space tourist, uh, Namira Salim. Uh, she is about to go in uh, basically in about uh, two hours. And it's, uh, I mean, you know, so, so uh, I was invited. Uh, I knew her from like the mid-1980s. And... When the first time I met her, uh, I had started an astronomy society, and she was one of the first uh, astronomy members. And the first thing she said was, like, she wants to go to space. That was 1987. And uh, and now she is going. I mean, it's one of those cases, like, you know, that uh, you have to be patient, and, and you have to have some money. It does cost uh, a bit to go to space. That's why I'm here to see the launch. Do you pay for a ticket? Me or her? <laughs> <laughs> I take it you're staying on the ground, so I'm going to go with not you. No, uh, so, yes. Uh, so, but she paid her ticket uh, about um, 17 years ago, and that was 200,000. And uh, right now, the going rate is around 450,000. And 800 people have already paid uh, paid done the down payment. She's amongst the early tourists. So this is the fourth flight for the Virgin Galactic that is taking tourists out. And uh, there will be two other tourists going up with her, and there is a pilot, and uh, and they'll be going up close to a little over 80 kilometers. And I'm using kilometers, so my apologies to American system. But the reason is because U.S. considers 80 kilometers space above that. 
whereas the general international line is around 100 kilometers, so there is a little bit of controversy regarding that. <laughs> but once you are up there, you are up there. So they go up. How long is the how long is the trip? Uh, the total sort of like you know when they will be in um, free fall or zero gravity, that would be uh, about a little over a minute, or a couple of minutes actually. And uh, but the overall, the trip uh, it takes them, um, I think, about fifteen to twenty minutes at least to get there. So th- this is a different type of thing. It's not a rocket launch, but rather this is launched off of a plane. So a plane takes it. They call it the mothership. And in between, uh, you have the spaceship, and it takes you up pretty high. I forgot actually exactly how high does it go, and then the spaceship actually separates out, uses its uh, boosters, and then it goes up, and then it. Uh, sort of like, you know, falls for a bit from gravity, and then it comes back down and lands like an airplane. I see. So there's a plane that goes up, and then there's a plane that takes off from the plane, from the mothership. That second plane takes them up into space, and then they come. That's right. And that's the one they're traveling on. Yes, and this is a beautiful place. I mean, this is in the desert of New Mexico, uh, close to a town called Truth or Consequences. Either way, that's the reason why there was a sign over there. But it's um, but that's um, where sort of like you know uh, this is it's close to White Sands and um, and that's where I am. Is this exciting for you? I mean, you've been involved in space exploration one way or another for many many years. But is this a launch exciting for you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just fascinating to see the space commercialization. I mean, I'm critic as well for that. I mean, I think should we be doing this or not? And so this actually provides a very unique opportunity to see it. What's happening? How do what kind of people are involved and what's taking place? So for me, that I think it's it's just an absolutely amazing experience. If we could just keep you for one more minute, I would like to know: is this uh, is this arranged by governments through Virgin Atlantic, or can we all go no. online and if we have a couple hundred thousand, well, four hundred thousand? This is all private. This is completely private. Well, it, it's completely private, but I know that uh, in t- the Prime Minister of Pakistan said, you know, he, he sent a message. Yes. Inshallah, to Namira yes, Salim. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, uh, the mission itself is private. So companies, so governments can pay. I mean, anybody can pay. So uh, I think uh, Italian government uh, recently had a mission as well, sort of like, you know, they, they chartered uh, one of these flights. So anybody can pay, whether you are a government or you are an individual. That's what I meant to say. Is this becoming, it's probably the wrong word, but is this becoming normalized? Uh, trips, trips to space, commercial trips? That's the, reason, that's the reason I'm here, to see how normal it is. And I think that's, this is the early, I mean, so if they have 800 tickets sold, that's going to happen in the next couple of years. That's what they intend to do. So there's a flight once a month. At a half a million dollars a ticket. Yeah. When are you taking your so, space trip? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can go to go, go fund go fund me at Let's set that up. <laughs> I, I should mention that when I was coming in, my wife did tell me like, you know, that promise me you are going over there, but if there is a last minute vacancy, you are not going. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I once had made the mistake of telling my wife, I'd love to go to Mars. And if there's a seat, yeah. I'm I'm on it. And she said, really? What about me and the kids? <laughs> oh, boy. I paid for that for years. <laughs> Would you go if you had a chance, Aman? Uh, uh Thank you. 
Uh, I get uh, nauseous. Merry go rounds and sort of like you know those things. So uh, I will be miserable from that perspective. So I'm waiting for these things to get sort of like you know like airplane like thing where there is you know very gentle sort of like space and I'm and there is a barf back near me. B- beam them up, Bill. Okay. <laughs> you go. That I would love. Thank you so much. <laughs> when is when is the when is the uh, launch time? What is the launch time? It's, uh, it's about uh, it's nine o'clock here, close to it's eleven uh, Eastern. And right now we are waiting for astronauts to come out, and so we're lining up because there's going to be sort of like, you know, we welcome them, and they walk out, and then there are cars lined up to take them to those planes. And how so many people? How many people will be on on the flight on the expedition? So on the space. Uh, 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 thing there, there will be four people, three passengers and one pilot, and then the mothership also has, I think, two pilots in there. Okay. So and, then, and this place where I'm at, I have also have interior. I mean, they have sort of like the whole setup here, and it, it and it's yeah. So it is beautiful. I think that I think that's. And this is Virgin Atlantic's private space launch Virgin, site. Is that right? Virgin Virgin Galactic. Virgin Galactic. And I will and, point uh, out, yeah, this is the all of Pakistan is excited. She's going to be carrying a pa- Pakistani flag and saluting her country. Well, we're going to leave it there. Salman Hamid, thank you so much for taking time off from the space launch to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And if anybody is interested, uh, I have a channel, YouTube channel in Urdu, Kainat Astronomy. And I have actually just uh, yesterday, I became here for a dress rehearsal. And I have two shorts. That actually show you around outside the spaceport and also inside the spaceport. So if, you, if anybody wants to go, YouTube slash Kainat Astronomy, and you will find some shorts which has some views of the spaceport. Tell us that YouTube uh, site again, please. Uh, uh, it's Kainat Astronomy. So K-A-I-N-A-A-T, Astronomy, and uh, in Urdu. So you can find, you know, if you do Kainat Astronomy, you will find uh, the, uh, the channel. And in there, there are shorts that tells you how it looks like from inside and outside. I'll brush up on my Urdu. Salman Ami, <laughs> thank you so very much. Have a great launch. Thank Hope everything goes spectacularly much. well. Inshallah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. The education assistance I received made it possible for me to be the first person in my family to go to school and graduate debt-free. That education helped get me to the first day at my dream job, a job that I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job 
plus the other benefits possible from the Army National Guard, helped me become a first-time homeowner. Also, part of my role as a National Guard soldier means I know that I can be one of the first to respond and help my community if disaster ever strikes. I'm extremely proud that I get to serve my community, and that first step I took by joining the Army National Guard has made all the difference in my life. Talk to your local recruiter or visit nationalguard.com to find out what firsts are available to you in the Army National Guard. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding around. This is Artbeat with Donabel Cassis, who has with her and us today, back with us today, a very special guest. The pleasure of the introduction is yours, Donabel. Yes, thank you, Bill. Good morning. On October 12th, Smith College is hosting a contemporary art event, part of a series called Art Stockings. Dialogues on Art, Gender, and Cultural Theory. So joining us today is Dr. Emma Chubb, Charlotte Feng Ford, Curator of Contemporary Art at Smith College Art Museum. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, I know the last time we spoke, it was during the pandemic, so it's been a while that you're my guest, and I'm happy you're joining us today. Now, Art Stockings in, in my understanding, invites a diverse group of women-identified and non-binary artists to talk about their work, ideas, and process. How did this series get started? Yeah, so this is actually a series that my colleague uh, Alex Callender, who's a professor of art at Smith as well as an uh, amazing artist herself, she brought to the college when she joined the faculty in 2017. Um, and she couldn't be with us today, so she's in Boston for a, a set of programs related to an exhibition she had last year at Northeastern. Um, so I'm, I'm here at, on kind of both of our behalfs. Um, and so she started this series when she was at the University of Missouri um, as a way to um, bring artists to campus, uh, artists who are doing really interesting work who maybe weren't um, getting as, as much attention um, and who were really exciting people to think alongside with, working along with a lot of different media. So when she came to Smith, um, she brought the program with her. Typically it's uh, on Zoom and one of the things that she's been experimenting with in the last few years is bringing um, one or two speakers per semester or per year in person. And so this was a chance for us to partner with the art department, with Alex, with the Smith Office for the Arts, which is a relatively new office on campus, to bring Deborah Jack, who is an amazing artist, uh, whose work is on view right now at the museum um, as part of our permanent collection. Um, so yeah, so that's how it came about and that's, that's how this is going. Well, you know, so if people are interested in going to this event, it's on October 12th. Um, it's a screening and conversation with Deborah Jack, and it's at 5 p.m. So this is not on Zoom. This is in person um, at the Graham Auditorium Hillier, Hillier Hall um, at Smith. And so tell us a little bit about Deborah Jack's work, if you could, please. 
Yes, so Deborah is an artist um, originally from St. Martin in the Caribbean um, who now lives in Jersey City. She's a professor at New Jersey City University. Um, she works primarily in uh, video and film installation as well as photography. She's also a published poet. She has really poetic work. I think both, um, I'll tell you the title of the work and I think that it in itself is a poem. Um, mm. So she works um, often kind of at the intersection of questions around history, memory, ecology, and how climate uh, change is impacted by histories of colonialism uh, and slavery, and uh, especially in the Caribbean. And so a lot of her work kind of departs from these interests and really kind of expands on them. Um, and the work itself is often very immersive, uh, I think really mesmerizing, really kind of pulls people in, and then I think allows it to kind of catalyze a lot of conversations and reflections about these things that are really at the center of, of life right now. Well, you know, obviously climate change is very much on the forefront of the news and our thoughts. And yes, her title of her piece that you'll be screening, uh, lucky for us, is called The Water Between Us Remembers. So we carry this history on our skins, long for a sea bath and hope that the salt will heal what ails us. And that was done in 2018. So tell us a little bit about this video because I don't know if, if most people are familiar with her work, um, what we'll be seeing on October 12th. So this actually is the video that's exhibited at the museum right now. And so she's um, gonna show some compliments, some other works of hers, um, oh, but I can tell you so that people will get a fuller perspective into her practice. Um, mm -hmm. But this, uh, The Water Between Us Remembers, um, is a piece that I, is a single channel immersive installation. So you come into the gallery on our lower level, it's our video gallery, and you'll step into this space um, and kind of be transported into this um, very poetic reflection that kind of engages with landscape and place and memory and song, um, the sea, the island, like kind of all working from this place of uh, St. Martin. Um, and then the works that she sh will show, I I'm hoping she's going to tell us a little bit on Thursday about her, um, one of her newest pieces that's currently just been installed at the ICA Boston as part of the Forecast Form exhibition that was wow. a for the MCA Chicago. So I think we might see a clip from that and then um, maybe one or two other works as part of the screening. Well, the great thing is you've got some exciting news about um, the upcoming Second Fridays um, regarding admission to yeah. see this piece so everyone can go see this piece. Tell us about that, please. Yes, so um, as of this summer, the Smith College Museum of Art is free for everybody, um, which is um, thanks to some really generous support um, that allowed us to uh, get rid of our admission fee. Um, which we're really, really, really happy about. Um, and this uh, next Friday, the 13th, is memorable as a date. Um, that will be our first uh, second Friday since February of 2020, uh, since the pandemic. And the theme is art in multiples. And so this is for everybody. It's for everybody of all ages. Um, there's refreshments there. We have extended hours till eight. There's drop in art making from four to seven. There'll be a printmaking activity as part of that. Um, and then from six to seven, there'll be some short pop-up talks in the galleries, including um, artist uh, Paola Ferrario, who's in Holyoke, um, as well as some Smith student workers and staff uh, who will be doing pop-up talks. So it'll so, be a lot of fun. So second Friday is the date and time for community involvement and expanded programming at the Smith College Museum. I want to understand that. If you could help me out, please. 
Yes, well, we, we hope that we are a place that everyone feels welcome all of the time, um, but this is a place where we have, uh, we're open later um, to uh, 8 p.m. and we have um, a whole art making and activity in later times and we have, um, it's really amazing the kind of energy of the building gets really uh, changed by, we often have a lot of families, um, students, people of all ages who come and make art and hang out and um, Hopefully they'll still be Rice Krispie treats, uh, which was a part of me in the past. <laughs> I'm going for those. <laughs> so Emma Chubb, one more question on this. Is this free admissions to the Smith College Museum of Art, is that anticipated to be a permanent fixture uh, or is this, yeah. is this an experiment? No, this was um, thanks to the generosity of two alums. They supported the fundraising goal that we had in order to um, replace the income that we needed to raise money for to um, be in a position to no longer charge admission fee um, and still support the um, programs that we have, especially around our family and school programs, which is what um, some of those fees would go towards previously. Such a valuable addition to the community and far as far as making art accessible, which I feel is a, a very important aspect that, you know, I like to share as much as possible. But um, going back again to this uh, event on October 12th, which is amazing, it's called Art Stockings, and it's a Deborah Jack screening and conversation at Smith in person. Um, at 5 p.m. Now, um, do are you masking? Like, what are the protocols for people attending this event? That's a great question. So masks are always welcome on campus. We want everyone to feel comfortable. Um, the room seats about 100 people, and it's a kind of auditorium space. Um, mm -hmm. We hope to have a great turnout, but there might be some space to um, have some more distance, too. Um, but yeah, masks are always welcome. It's really up to the um, individual, and, and um, we also welcome any feedback people have if there's other things that we can do that would make people feel more comfortable. Um, I just also want to mention for the conversation, Deborah will be in conversation with Simone Cambridge, who's a UMass grad student um, in the art history uh, master's program who w worked with us over the summer at SCMA, and so we're really pleased to have her back to, to do this conversation with the artist. Well, that was my second question because I noticed her name, and so she's a master's candidate or a PhD candidate at UMass. Um, uh, did she, who invited actually, who invited Deborah Jack to Smith? So that came through um, uh, the museum, through the Office for the Arts, and then through our partnership with the art department with Alex uh, Calendar for uh, art stockings, and then with Anna e. Cisco and Film and Media Studies. So it's, we've really been a kind of coalition of people who are super excited about Deborah's work, about the way she's such an amazing, engaging speaker, um, and she just felt like a wonderful uh, opportunity to, to be able to bring her to campus with in co kind of conjunction with her work being on view at the museum. Um, she was at Amherst in the spring for a panel that I was also on with Anais Cisco, and she's just a really dynamic speaker, um, and I think people will really enjoy, uh, we hope, will really enjoy uh, connecting with her. Well, I'm really excited about this event, so count me in. Um, looking ahead, are there any exciting developments we should be aware of that's coming to the Smith College Art Museum? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like we have a lot of transition happening. We um, got a new roof, which is no one can see, um, but <laughs> there. And I can feel. <laughs> we'll, we'll benefit from it for many years, but that has necessitated taking down all of the um, work on the third floor, which is our largest gallery spaces, um, about 6,000 square feet. So we are in the process of getting ready to start reinstalling that floor. It will look totally different. Um, it will no longer be limited by chronology uh, in the way that it has been. And so I think people that will open um, 
in the winter, probably early February. So I think when people come back to see that, uh, we can really expect to see the space transformed um, in ways that I think are really exciting. And then we always have lots of things happening. Um, we, yeah, we're always really excited to um, bring people in. You can make appointments to come see stuff in storage. You don't need to be affiliated with Smith. Um, really? Oh you my goodness. You want to stuff, yeah, in the works on paper collection. It usually has to be during a weekday because we're here in staff, but uh, we always want to hear from people and, and do our best to make our collections uh, as available to people as we can. What a valuable resource in the Valley. Dr. Emma Chubb from Smith College Museum of Art, thank you so much for sharing this amazing event coming up again on October 12th at 5 p.m. at the Graham Auditorium at Smith College. Um, no reservations, you just show up at the door, is that what I'm Okay, yes. great. And uh, we look forward to seeing it and good luck and I'll probably see you around town. <laughs> thank you so much, yeah, thanks for having me. Emma Chubb, Donabel Cassis, thank you both so very much. I'm so excited that the Smith College Museum of Art is free and open to everyone all the time. It's a spectacular place and I can't wait for the third floor to reopen. Thank you, Emma Chubb, thank you, Donabel Cassis. Break a leg at this new, new exhibit, it's gonna be great. <laughs> How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, pvhabitat.org. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free. WHMP North. Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. So um, over a decade ago, uh, Anna Marie Cochran was found murdered by strangulation in her home in Granby. Her wife, Cara Rintala, became a suspect uh, in that case. There was a trial in 2013 and then again in 2014, both remarkably resulting in hung jurors. The third trial in 2016 ended with a guilty verdict, uh, with the jury finding Rintala guilty of first-degree murder. However, in 2021, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court overturned that decision stating that expert witness testimony was improperly admitted. A trial began again in September of uh, September 6th, um, and closing arguments just wrapped up this past Wednesday. And uh, I know, Bill Newman, you are looking at today's Hampshire Gazette. We have a verdict. Front page, top of the fold, a large photograph of Cara Rintala with her attorneys following the jury's verdict 
Thursday in Hampshire Superior Court, where she was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter. The headline, Rintala guilty of manslaughter. The subhead, bail revoked as she awaits sentencing for slaying wife in 2010. Voluntary manslaughter is a lesser homicide than murder. The hierarchy in Massachusetts is first-degree murder, second-degree murder, manslaughter. There are two kinds of manslaughter. We don't really need to get into the involuntary versus voluntary manslaughter. Voluntary manslaughter is essentially a uh, purposeful killing or doing something that puts someone in great danger of dying through one's well, actions. I, I just want to say if I punch, I intend to punch you, I don't intend for you to fall and hit your head and die. So I intended to punch as a voluntary act, as voluntary manslaughter. So uh, sentencing is set for... October 19th, the maximum penalty for manslaughter is 20 years in state prison. Over the course of this litigation, uh, uh, Rintala has been held uh, on bail, but not since the last trial because bail was, she was released on bail, but she has been in for some seven and a half years. So uh, the judge is going to be charged with the responsibility of saying, we're going to send this woman back to prison, really? Uh, but that is what is going to be presented. And the prosecution yesterday did not say what sentence they would be requesting, and the defense did not say, although I think we can anticipate that they'll say, this has been a, a travail, obviously, for everyone involved for a really long time. But... The sentencing will be October 19th, and what the judge will do, it's totally up to the judge. It's totally discretionary. I just think what sentence up to 20 years. Right. I think it's interesting, Bill, that the jury deliberated. We won't get into the weeds in terms of jurors being replaced in deliberations, resuming again, but, but the jury felt that there was some kind of an altercation for which Cara Rintala was, uh, was responsible. Right. Um, it's a heat, of, it's a heat of passion uh, uh, verdict, it seems. That, that is... Someone uh, kills someone else and it's in the heat of passion. Um, that is viewed as a much lesser form of killing or of homicide than murder. But and, and, and I just want to say first-degree murder, which he was once convicted of and the Supreme Judicial Court overturned it, that requires deliberate premeditation. It's a whole different thing than heat of passion. Yes, it is indeed. And first-degree murder, uh, deliberate premeditation, a killing with deliberate premeditation, although Massachusetts has a really weird definition of deliberate premeditation. According to the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, deliberate premeditation can happen in a matter of seconds. Just a so second. Let's, but anyway, it's really up to the jury what they think happened because they can decide with a great deal of discretion whether a case is first degree, second degree, or manslaughter. What they found was this is the lowest form of a homicide, of a, of a, of a killing under the murder statute, but it was a finding, as the district attorney pointed out, that she had killed her wife, which is what she has denied from the beginning. I just, I just want to end uh, this kind of conversation by just saying I'm proud of the jury. We always were so concerned about the criminal justice system, but this was a thoughtful jury. This verdict was, I think, a thoughtful verdict. Uh, right or wrong, obviously, a lot of thought went into it. They didn't believe that there was deliberate premeditation. They believed it was a heat of passion uh, incident. Um, so kudos to the jury, uh, and I guess kudos to the jury system. Meanwhile, 
It is getting chilly out. We have a forecast that says it's going to get colder and colder. <coughs> For some of us, that is in a make-or-break situation because we are able to warm ourselves, warm our houses, and for others, it is a serious problem with the price of fuel, the way that it is, home heating oil, the way that it is, gas, the way that it is, and electricity. So expensive, but we do have help for some people who are eligible for it, and thankfully, we do have the Community Action of Pioneer Valley, and the Executive Director is here, her monthly visit with us, Claire Higgins. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, and it's important stuff. You have a fuel assistance program. Assistance program. Yeah. Can you tell us about it? Sure. The uh, official name of the fuel assistance program is LIHEAP, Low Income Heating Assistance Program, and commonly known as fuel assistance. And we uh, we are the fuel assistance provider for Franklin and Hampshire counties across the state. It's mostly community action agencies are the providers for fuel assistance, um, and so the fuel assistance. Applications open on October 1, um, and, and we're already seeing applications come in the door. Uh, the state, if, if, if anybody wants to know about the program, they can go to our Community Action um, homepage, uh, which, I, of course, I've now forgotten the URL for, but I'll well, find it. Well, it is communityaction.us. That's right, yep. communityaction.us. And um, <coughs> there's it, it, home heating is right on there. You can click through, and this year... You can click through and get and get the information about what you need to submit with your application, and you can also, if you want to, submit an application online, which may be more effective for folks. We have offices in Northampton, and we have offices in Greenfield, and we uh, we have an outlying um, sort of office not, that won't be staffed every day in Orange, and we have one that won't be staffed every day in Ware at the Senior Center that's new this year. So there are ways for people to get to us, um, in person, if that's the way they want to um, apply for the program for new, there's uh, the website will explain it. But and if you apply online, we can. It may be that we can do most of it online. There may be a need for a visit. So, well, let's talk about eligibility. Uh, can I be either a renter or a homeowner? Correct. If your rent is included with your heat, and um, it, it'll change the benefit level, and in some cases, people whose rent is included with their heat may not be eligible because, uh, and that's more often in subsidized housing. But people should apply, and we'll figure it out with them whether or not they're uh, eligible. Um, and if I'm a homeowner, and if you're a homeowner who is living with a low income, you are eligible. Um, and in fact, about 50% historically of our folks have been seniors. Many of them are who are homeowners. Um, a, a large number of people who, a large number of families, obviously, some of whom are renters and some of whom are homeowners. It's a real mix of people. Now, some people get their heat through oil. Some right. people get their heat through gas. Some people get their heat through pellets and wood. Does it matter uh, what need you have for assistance? Um, if we we can pay for any kind of fuel source within, I, I, you know, I'm not sure that if you're heating your house with a, you know, with a, a barbecue pit or something, we're not going to do that. But we will, you know, we I know that I've signed off on some coal contracts and some wood contracts and the occasional kerosene contract for certain kinds of heaters. So we've, uh, and pellets, there's all kinds of things that we are able to pay for. In, in mass, 
in the rest of Massachusetts, the, f- the split usually is about 35% of people are getting their fuel delivered to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's oil, propane, um, pellets, wood, those kinds of delivered fuels. And 65% are on utilities, gas or electric. In our, in our region, the, it, it's the opposite. About 65% of the people that live in, in Hampshire and Franklin County, it might be a little lower now because more people are moving to um, mini splits and other ways to heat their house, but it's still more than 50% of our families, our households are heating with um, oil and, and the other delivered fuels. And then the other group of people are heating with <coughs> uh, gas or electric. We, some years, depending on how the money goes, et cetera, we, we can pay... We, we can pay the maximum benefit for, benefit for people, which based on income, on their primary fuel source. And then if there is an ability, the state will allow us to pay some on their secondary source. Because often people who are heating with oil may be using um, a, heat, a space heater or something like that in some other part of the room. So their electric bill is going up. So Director Claire Higgins of uh, Community Action, Pioneer Valley. Um, I assume that you just mentioned it. There are income guidelines. Yes. Are the income guidelines for fuel assistance different than the income guidelines for other forms of services you might qualify for from community action? Uh, well, the government, in its wisdom, has different uh, income guidelines for just about everything, so that is a little bit of problematic. But um, if you qualify for SNAP, um, that's... SNAP. SNAP, uh, which the, used, to be called food, nutrition. used to be called food stamps, supplemental nutrition program. Uh, we are moving towards, with in, for most people in SNAP, they will be able, sort of eligible. That proof that they're on SNAP will be enough to prove their eligi- el- <coughs> eligibility, and that's explained on the website. And, and what about, and the, uh, it, do you it, have to be a citizen to qualify for this? Um, you do you, you don't have to be a citizen if you are undocumented. You're not counted in the total number of people in the household. But if you have an undocumented person living in your household, five people there, one is undocumented, it's counted as a household of four. You can, you, you can warm that person. You can, still warm, you can still warm the house, and if that person is in it, they will get that benefit. Okay. Yeah. So you can, you can uh, either apply online. At communityaction.us. Easy way to remember it, community action is us, okay? Oh, <laughs> um, dot us. Dot, dot us. Got uh, it. And, um, and we have an office in, as I said, in Greenfield at 393 Main Street. We don't suggest people walk in. On the website, it gives you a phone number, and you can set up an appointment if that's what you need. And, but first thing to do is look at what the eligibility requirements, get all your documents together, and then make t- and, and work with us to get a time. Now, the other thing that's really important for people is that the state has a moratorium on shutoffs for certain protected people, meaning that (coughs) the gas and electric company can't shut you off. Now, of course, the... For non-payment, they still can't shut you off. They can't shut you off. Now, what I'm going to say, two things about that. One is people should really try to pay um, a little bit on their bill every month, even if if it's $5.00. not paying the bill is what gets you closer to a shutoff. If you're living with a low income, and I, I had that web page open and now I'm going to get it again, um, uh, you per, are protected through a, a moratorium that starts on November 15th and theoretically ends on March 15th. They often will extend it in, out to April 15th. 
So that moratorium is really, really, really important um, for people to know about. Because your heating bills are going to go way down, obviously, when the temperature rises, and therefore there's a chance to pay it off. Or to arrange with them a a payment plan. And presumably these are individuals who don't have a pay a yearly plan per month. I I said that terribly. I know what you're saying. Right. You know, if you're... If you, it's hard to commit to a monthly payment if you know you're trying to prioritize what your bills are and rents first, right? And you're living with a low income. So, I don't. Can you do a monthly payment plan with? Uh, you I, can I, do a, a pay the whole bill off every month, but but if the bill is going to vary, that's a problem. Let me let me ask you this, Claire Higgins, as the executive director of Community Action Pioneer Valley, how big a problem is uh, the lack of heat in homes? throughout this region? Well, we have, I just, I want to finish on the moratorium and then I'll answer that question. You can be protected all the time if you, if you have a a person in your home with seriously ill, infants under 12 months of age, and adults over 65, and a minor child living in that residence. So there is shut off protection available. If you look at your bill and there's a little R on your bill somewhere, I can't remember exactly where it is, but I think we show it on our website, that Mm -hmm. tells you that you're protected. That doesn't mean, I'm going to say it again, you still should pay your bill. You sh- even if it's a $10 a month, $15 a month. Pay towards your bill. Pay towards your bill. As a not very highly compensated child care worker, I remember coming home one day and flipping on the lights and nothing happened. Mm. And fortunately, heat was included in my rent at that apartment. But it's a scary thing. To uh, Terrifying thing. Scary to- thing to know that you don't have your electric or your gas or whatever. And electric is backup for a lot of people when they can't they're, as they're as they're trying to keep their house warm. So and, and Claire that, Higgins, I just want to one other thing uh, before we take a break. <coughs> I remember a hundred years ago I represented Community Action, and my memory is if you got fuel assistance last year, you automatically get sent an application this year. Well, that's, that's right. Still we, the case. We still we still send applications out every year. Now we one year um, I don't know. A thousand or a couple thousand applications got in the mail, got lost in the mail, and that was a challenge mm. because it actually does happen. But every year we send them out. We've already sent them out. They're already coming back. We, people have, are in the office now, um, opening the envelopes and figuring out how what people have done correctly and that what else needs to come in before we can do what we call certify the application. We get about upwards of ten, eleven to twelve thousand applications a year. Not everybody is eligible. But we'll pay on you know eight to nine thousand depending on the year, maybe this. I mean, it, it's been high. It's been creeping higher because people uh, because of the challenges in people's lives. People are poorer, so it's it's a problem. But um, the other question was, uh, how many people? I want to get your question, Bill. It was the about question I have for you, Claire Higgins, as executive director of Community Action Pioneer Valleys. How many people in our region? How many households? How many families may not have enough money to have their houses be warm this winter. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. That's a tricky question. I really can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been been hoping that you so drop in. very nice. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman. 
weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Hockey inside the Mullen Center starts this Saturday as the Minutemen open the season with a Western Mass clash against AIC at 7 p.m. To purchase tickets, log on to umassathletics.com slash tickets or call 1-866-UMASS-TICKS. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store. Full-value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store. Open right now at whmp.com. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back with Executive Director of Community Action Pioneer Valley, uh, Claire Higgins and Bill, you before we took a break, asked a question of Claire. Claire, I have the question for housing that we often ask Congressman Jim McGovern about and people from uh, various organizations in this valley about food insecurity, which is how big of a problem is it? How many people are being affected? And I know that this is going to get into uh, kind of uh, squishy uh, uh, numbers, but I want to know how big a problem is it? That's a a good and hard question, right? I can tell you that there's probably about, I'm looking at the census data, I'm doing the math in my head, maybe there's 100,000 households in the two counties combined, maybe, and that's high. I think we get we get anywhere from ten to 12,000 applications every year, and, I, and, and those, the house applications are based on households. Um, so that gives you a, an apples-to-apples apples comparison. I do also think that there's a lot of people who don't apply because they don't want to be beholden or dependent on the government, or they think, oh, it's not for me. Or they don't know. Or they don't know. Exactly. Those are the kind of... Or they're a few dollars over, or uh, which or doesn't mean that they're not over. trying to balance, should I pay for medicine, should right. I pay for food, should I pay for heat, they should I pay trying. for rent? I mean, all of that. They, that's correct. And like, working poor. There, there's a cutoff, right? And that, and so that anytime there's a cutoff, there's people that are challenged there. Every year we run a f- uh, uh, um, a, a, an appeal to the community called Heat Up. And we use that to help people that are outside of the parameters of uh, the fuel assistance program. We can't help with a lot, 
but we can help if somebody applies and they are, you know, we are careful about that money because we don't raise a ton of it, but we raise enough to help some people that are in a bad way. So it, once again, before before we move on, I just want to remind people, if you know somebody who needs uh, fuel assistance, um, and look, it's New England. It is cold, and a lot of people don't have adequate resources. You go to communityaction.us and apply for fuel assistance. You can do it online. You can get a phone number. You could also walk in. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Claire Higgins, do I still call you mayor? No. Is that a title that no. survives your... There's only uh, one mayor at a time. Thank oh, okay. All right. Thank well, God. Former mayor, <laughs> ex-mayor Claire Higgins. But I wanted to ask you, last time we spoke, there was uh, uh, Governor Maura Healy had uh, vetoed portions of the um, budget that was passed by the legislature that involved um, early childhood education. Yeah. You said at that time you were going to give her a pass. She's a new governor, and there was so much that she did that was wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned in one, one in particular nutrition in schools. Yeah. Yeah. But so um, the question was whether or not to override her vetoes, and where do you stand? What are your thoughts? Well, the legislature in the last two weeks has been taking up overrides along with the tax package that they pass, and I want to praise the governor and the legislature for increasing some important tax um, exemptions, et cetera, or, or, or credits for people um, who are living with low and moderate incomes, including the child and dependent care tax credit, which has gone up, including the renter deduction that went up. There's a whole set of really good things in that tax package, and I, I, I they des deserve a lot of praise for that. This is a, a you know, did they do every si Nobody ever does every single thing I want, right? <laughs> does anybody do every... Every single thing anybody wants. No. Okay. Uh, you do every single no, thing yeah, I want, I, I'm pretty sure that's not true, Buzz. But, <laughs> but so it's a good ta tax package. And then the, then they, they took up the tax package, and now they, they took up the vetoes. And on all the vetoes that we were concerned about for our agency, in specific, the child care rate reserve that would allow for raising rates for early education and Moving towards equalizing rates across the state right now, there's really big disparities between Western Mass, Southeastern Mass, and the rest of the state, especially Boston and Metro Boston. It's because of the way the feds require them to set the rates, so I'm not, um, not um, blaming anybody, but th we need to figure out a way to fix that because while the market rate might be different in place in different parts of the state, the cost of running the service is not as dramatically different. If you, so we need to be equalized in a much better way. So, um, so that was restored, the child care rate. The additional money to support Head Start was rest restored, what they call the Head Start Supplemental. Head Start requires a, a, a state or local match to your Head Start grant of 20%. So the state supplemental is a really good match for us. And in kind, they call it, right? And uh, we also use a lot of other things for in kind, but that was really important. And um, the, the uh, veto of uh, Family Resource Center money, we run a Family Resource Center up on, on, on Federal Street in Greenfield, really important. It wasn't entirely vetoed, but this was an increase that was cut. But our costs have increased across the board. Salaries have increased. Health insurance has gone up. You know, we have to raise salaries to be competitive with McDonald's, <laughs> mm. right? I mean, I'm not talking about competitive with, right? I have a government question for you, Claire Higgins. Okay. I'll see if I can answer it. Maura Healy, I think we can all agree, is not a mean person. She no. didn't veto these uh, 
funds because she was trying to undermine a program. She did it for fiscal reasons, I assume. And when the legislature then restores the money and spends more money, where does it come from? Well, the money that was vetoed, uh, the state, the legislators had appropriated out of the rainy day fund, and I'm assuming that's where they'll go back to. But I'm not sure what the funding source is going to be. I just do want to note that <clears throat> since Obama was president and money came into this to, to community action agencies to help people went during that slump, um, and then it went away, community action agencies have been advocating to the state to give us some money in addition to what we get from the the this feds massachusetts is a high cost state so we really wanted to get some more money to help with that that issue which applies to the other ones i talked about as well the governor the because it came in the first year of covid the governor saw it as covid money we were trying to make a case for years that this is really just about poverty it's not about covid the legislature overrode that as well and that was a 30 uh, yesterday in the senate was a 37 to 1 vote and the minority leader of the Senate spoke eloquently about the need for for community action agencies. So there's a number of other ones that were important too. I think what's going on though is that the first year I was in City Hall, it took me a while to figure out what was buried in that budget, what was going on in that budget. She had a, she wanted to do both tax relief and pass a budget that was balanced, and she was trying to meet those needs. The legislature disagreed with her. They're saying we want to approach it a different way. They then did the tax package, and then they came back and didn't override all of her vetoes. They overrided. I th they overrode. It's terrible. It's a really that's good. Overrode. It's a weird, weird vote. Um, they overrode. I think about eighty million dollars. And I think Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll said everything that we vetoed was something that we regret having to veto. But like anybody who keeps a budget, there's only so much we could do. And I think that's probably true. And I, I do want to say. Our delegation was great on this issue. Every single member of the Western Mass delegation was great on all of these issues. So I'm really grateful for the, the people who drive in there to have these fights and to have these conversations and make, make a case for Western Mass. Um, and we are really grateful for the existence of Community Action Pioneer Valley for those of us who are lower in income. That's just such important services, especially as it's getting colder. If you, if you need or know of anybody who needs fuel assistance, please communityaction.us. Thank you, Claire Higgins. We're grateful for your presence every month. Thank you. I really appreciate this time. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Massachusetts House lawmakers unveiled a bill yesterday that would ban individuals from carrying a gun into a person's home without their permission and require key gun components be serialized and registered with the state. The bill would create new laws that bar firing guns at or near homes and outlaw carrying firearms while intoxicated. It would also prohibit firearms from being carried in schools, polling places, and government buildings. 
The bill is in part a response to the 2022 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that Americans have a right to carry firearms in public for self-defense. Kara Rintala has been found guilty of voluntary manslaughter for killing her wife in their Granby home in 2010. The trial before Hampshire Superior Court Judge Francis Flannery lasted for a month, beginning September 6th with the jury selection and ending with yesterday's verdict after the jury deliberated for two and a half days. This was the fourth trial for Rintala, with the first two resulting in deadlocked juries. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia wants more police patrols as part of a strategic plan to end gun violence in the city. The mayor spoke out following a shooting on Wednesday that resulted in the death of a baby. I'm very aware of the issues that are going on in the streets and are the issues that keep me up at night every single day. Here we have a situation that is unbearable. Wednesday afternoon, a pregnant woman was struck by a stray bullet while riding a bus on Sargent Street, resulting in the emergency delivery and death of the baby. Two suspects have been identified as Alejandro Ramos and John Luis Sanchez of Holyoke. Cloudy today with scattered showers and patches of drizzle, a high of 68 to 72. The patchy drizzle and occasional showers continue tonight. Evening temperatures will be in the 60s, an overnight low of 56 to 62. Rain and drizzle tomorrow, 64 to 68. Breezy mix of sun and clouds, upper 50s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 4:15. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge at hilltownfamilies.org. <laughs> oh, Dan, what were you playing? Uh, 
I think you should be the one to answer that. Okay, let me ask. Let me ask our guest, uh, Kenny Newman. We'll get to that uh, coincidence of last names in just a moment. What were we just listening to, Kenny? Oh, good morning, everyone. That was actually my. That was actually my. Um, Coming that from the national, national, national anthem? Uh, emblem from Mauritius, guys. Thank you very much. You make me feel so proud to hear that in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> and you are from Mauritius. Uh, for those of our listeners, and it might be most of them, who say, where? What? Where is Mauritius? <laughs> yeah, I get, I, get, I get that every time I'm here. It's like, oh, it's like my God, where is this from? Mauritius is um, a tiny little island in the Indian Ocean on the east coast of Africa, developing countries, and it's pretty nice to be there, and really nice. Okay, so if you want to know where it is, you go down the east coast of Africa, go to Tanzania, take a left, fly about 800, 900 miles, fly over Madagascar, go another eight, 900 miles, and you'll come to the island nation of Mauritius. Exactly. It's the same. Okay, so uh, here's... here's uh, one question. You said Mauritius was an island nation. It's actually more than one island, right? Yes, it is actually multiple little islands in the near Ocean. And our territory is pretty big. I think we are pretty attached to USA because one of your beautiful military bases on one of our island, actually. And this is Diego Garcia? This is Diego Garcia. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment. We're going to talk about the United States military in the... Uh, island nation of Mauritius in just a minute. Um, And I want to talk to uh, Kenny about what global warming, what climate change is doing to his island nation because it is indicative of what is happening to many, many countries, particularly poor countries throughout the world. But before we get to those serious, more serious topics, well, this is a pretty serious topic I'm about to bring up. Uh, your last name is Newman. How did you happen to come to that uh, august uh, august state? <laughs> oh, Newman. <laughs> oh, Mr. Newman. How did I get the name? Yes, Mr. Newman, tell us about this. <laughs> How did I become a Newman? Yes, that's, that's, what, that's what we're trying to get to. All right, so it's through... Um, my well, marriage, when I get married. Sorry, my English is not that great, guys. But uh, when I get married, I'm married a new man. <laughs> it, and Any particular new man we like to identify. <laughs> and I like, before you answer that, I want to remind you, before we go back to uh, my house, uh, you might want to get this one right. This is really important. <laughs> so actually, I married a daughter of Bill Newman. And... Um, so well, Newman, Newman wasn't a birth defect for no, you. No, you actually, was, I was not born Newman. It's a, I was, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful name. It's, it's a, so first of all, it's actually for, it's by sign of respect for my country, example, culturally talking, when you're a man, you are the boss in the house. And um, I wanted to prove to the world that uh, in my country, especially, that we can be different. And while getting married, I actually uh, wanted to take the name of my wife to prove to the world and to prove to my country that actually women can also be the boss. And take the name of a woman is always, you know, can kind of like to prove that gender equity can exist, first of all. And actually, my first name is Luke. <laughs> and Luke Newman sounds really good, but I'm going to take over your show maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... Uh, uh, so I can still call you Kenny. I mean, <laughs> before you're not going to change any other names on me today. 
let, tell our listeners, because we do want to talk to you about uh, climate change and how it is affecting uh, your country of Mauritius and how it is affecting the world. I, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to know what your relationship and what your professional relationship is to the environment. So tell us what you do. All right. What do I do, Mr. Buman? I am a, I'm a scuba diver, first of all. I own a diving industry. I'm in the scuba diving. I own a dive school in Mauritius. I teach scuba diving, and I am certified as a professional since 2003. You actually teach scuba diving to yeah. scuba diver scuba diving instructors. You're an instructor of instructors. Yes, I teach people how to become professional, exactly. And you and you have, I think, about the, the highest uh, ranking that you can have from PADI, which is the professional association. Yeah, I'm a professional association of diving instructors, actually a, a U.S. organization, and I'm a master instructor. Uh, looking forward to be a course director next year. It's pretty challenging getting there slowly. And yeah, I've been involved in the ocean since ever. I was born uh, and raised 50 meters away from the ocean. And 39 years of my life, I've been connecting myself to the beautiful ocean of Indian Ocean. Uh, so I have a great experience of seeing how actually global warming has, is actually affecting us on a visual impact. And I'm pretty involved into a few restoration projects, like uh, mangrove restoration, coral restoration, uh, a couple of cleanup days, and uh, try to do some education around myself to make people be aware of the impact of global warming. On Dan. I, I, Dan, yes. Uh, what, what changes have you seen? I mean, you've been uh, in, in, in the ocean. Give us some of the big ones that you've noticed. Over I mean, those first years. of all is the level of the ocean himself. Uh, the rays of the ocean is pretty big. And uh, countries like us in the middle of the ocean, our country, first of all, is like, uh, I would say, I'll try to put it in miles because we are newest. So it's approximately 780 uh, square miles. miles. So pretty small. So I've been seeing over some places over 10 meters or like in between five to 10 meters of our beach washed away because of the this uh, rays of the ocean truly happening. And some places like here on the continent, we hear about it, but we don't actually have a visual mm. uh, perspective of it. And we actually do have this visual kind of like we can see it, mm -hmm. we can see all the trees falling off. We can see some of the beach wash away, and it's sad. This is happening. Kenny Newman, I often hear about the coral reefs globally, and how they are dying. Literally, coral is a living organism, and they are dying. Do you see that in Mauritius? Oh yeah, uh, in my in my in my twenty years of uh, experience in diving, uh, specifically teaching it and exploring the whole country. Not only Mauritius, I've been exploring a little bit around Indian Ocean. I can tell you the bleaching of corals is pretty impressive. And knowing the importance of corals in our day-to-day -day life, even <coughs> here where we are, because corals will also contribute into the oxygen in the air uh, as much as the Amazonian forest will do. So it's pretty scary, I would say, to see all that happening around us. But yeah. 
repeatable. You've been scuba diving many places. You you spent time in the Seychelles. Uh, you you've uh, gone scuba diving in uh, uh, in the Mediterranean. Um, I, I would like to know how serious you see the problem of bleaching of coral reefs uh, in Mauritius because, first of all, the reefs are still gorgeous. Um, doesn't mean they haven't been affected. But this industry, the tourism industry, and specifically around uh, diving, is in a really important for your country of Mauritius. So what's your government doing or trying to do with regard to saving and preserving those coral reefs, if there's anything it can do? Wow, very nice question, Bill. Um, our government is doing pretty a lot of nice efforts, I would say. Uh, is it enough that I, I, can, I don't have this answer? Um, but as our prime minister was in this country a couple of uh, days ago, as we are a member of the United Nations, and we can hear a lot of what we have been doing. Actually, if you will go on the United Nations and click on Mauritius, Mauritian Prime Minister's speech, even giving a, a nice thing. So we are trying our best to reach uh, example, uh, trying to, to, to reintroduce corals in some places uh, with some grants or like with the GDP. I think we used 2% of the GDP of the country to actually uh, try to rebuild or restore some places around our lagoon, which is pretty amazing. Also restoring uh, mangroves. Um, you need to know Mauritius is, have a very be it's beautiful history, but especially due to development of the country in the past years, and I would say in the 17th or 18th century, we've been actually removing all our mangroves around the island to actually get access to the island. And then due to development, our resources has been kind of like um, taking away from the country a lot since ages. Like we had ebony forest has been deforesting our, um, like uh, our forest has been deforested, one of the first country to be deforested of the world. I'm sure all of you here in this uh, beautiful place uh, has heard about the dodo, right? And the dodo, for those who don't know, come from my country. And today, if the dodo is the emblems of their, uh, all the, how to say that? Um, the emblem of the country? No, the <coughs> emblem of like all the animals, which is going away. Oh, all, all the extinct mm. animals. All the instinct animals. Today, the dodo is actually the, the emblem of uh, all mm -hmm. this, due to human. So that was one of the first, it's actually Mauritius. Also, Mauritius being developed the land after several years into sugarcane industries. And sugarcane industries at some point was burning corals uh, to create this beautiful white sugar that we are having worldwide today. Uh, some of us in the US today is using world, uh, the white sugar coming from Mauritius actually. Also, due to construction in a while, we've been taking the sand out of the, of the ocean to build buildings. So today we are trying our best to answer to your question, to rebuild a lot of places, uh, south, south, east. We are trying to do some more, more and more natural parks and try to make people more aware of their impact of everything. We are speaking with Kenny Newman, 
He is a Mauritian. He's lived there most of his life, born and raised there, still lives there. And when we come back, I'm going to ask him about the United States military base, a huge military base on an island, one of the islands of Mauritius, the base on Diego Garcia. What's the U.S. doing with a huge military base there? We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. The future of joint pain relief is here. It's QC Kinetics, advanced regenerative medicine. This is amazing stuff. If you've been told more steroids or surgery are your only options, don't move so fast. Get a second opinion and learn more about how you can harness your body's own healing agents to attack that joint pain. I'm talking about lasting relief. QC Kinetics doesn't mask the pain. These treatments go to the very root of the problem. Using concentrated healing properties placed directly in your aching joints to restore and repair that damaged tissue. Imagine living your life this fall with no more pain in your knees, hips, shoulder, or back and without drugs, downtime, or surgery. Listen, life is about motion and QC Kinetics is giving people their lives back with these all-natural treatments. Call the local medical professionals and get a free consultation today. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Kenny Newman, who is from the Indian Island, Indian Ocean Island nation of Mauritius. We were talking during the break, and Buzz had asked the question, what languages people speak in Mauritius? Let's get to the well, answer. My Let's question go. was in the National Assembly. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, so... It's a very beautiful answer, actually. I, I'm, I'm so proud to say it every time when I, people ask me this question mm-hmm. because we are more than three lines, like uh, every day, you know, day-to-day paste. Uh, officially, our official language is English. In the parliaments, we will actually speak in English. Uh, and what do people actually speak on the island most uh, of the time? Most of the time, we speak Creole. And the news is in French. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing because when you hear the parliament speaking English, it's writing in the newspaper in French and it's debate in Creole. So Mauritius, like a lot of, well, particularly North Africans, it was uh, colonized by the French and then the British sort of wow. took over and that's how English it's became. Long, if you would like to know all the history, so, oh, so, 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 so Mauritius start, actually started uh, to be. Um, 
like the first colonization actually who or the first country to actually take over um like minerals from the country was uh Holland mm -hmm. right and then they actually deforested everything they went away because of sickness and then the French arrived a couple of years after stay there for a while developed the country into uh into sugarcane industry and then arrived the British and then uh, the British were there until 60, 1968 where we actually get independence so well, while we're on the question or the subject of the Brits, tell us about Diego Garcia. It is an island. And now, it's about a thousand miles away, I think, from the main island of Mauritius, but it is part of Mauritius, and there's a huge military base. And as I understand it, the United States pays rent, but not to Mauritius, to, to, the, to the British government. Could you, could you sort this out for me? All right. Say, actually, and why do we have a base there? Oh, geopolitically, Mauritius is placed in the Indian Ocean uh, in a way where it's actually dividing, on my point of view, China and actually also Africa. And as China is actually trying to go and find minerals through, India, uh, through Africa and travel the Indian Ocean back home, mm. Uh, this military base is pretty strategic for U.S. To so it's a listening post, exactly. and it's electronic and, listening uh, post uh, because it allows the United States to spy in that part of the world. world. And actually, it's close to a lot of countries like uh, the Middle East, actually. The fight, the fight, though, in Mauritius is not actually to... Well, people from Diego Garcia were forcibly removed from that island to make room for the military base. It's a horrible story of American and British colonialism. That said, the fight, as I understand, is about who, who will be paid the rent. Yes? Or it's no? really unclear. To be it's honest. uglier than that. Okay. It's, it's, it's really unclear. But I can tell you it's pretty positive that the, our island is going to get this uh, his own little island backed soon, hopefully. And now the negotiation is really happening in between Mauritius, Grand Britain, and U.S. So we don't know if we will actually get to send back those people that has been washed away from their, or take away from their country and bring them back to Mauritius and change their lifestyle totally. As you just said, it's uh, you, if you be you, you, there is beautiful book about Diego Garcia. Actually, there's beautiful stories about it. How people has been moved away on a terrible condition, I would say. And as serious a topic as that is, I really just want to end with one really serious question. I, I won't ask it of you, Kenny Newman, because it might put you in trouble with your father-in-law. But of you, Bill Newman, why do your children move as far away from Northampton, Massachusetts as possible? <laughs> <laughs> is Mars the next step, really? <laughs> well, I did have one daughter who said to me, the older one who said, hey, I must be the good daughter. I only live 2,000 miles away. <laughs> Mauritius is, in fact, about 10,000 miles away, and I once butt-dialed Uber by mistake there, and I got a notice on my phone. Your Uber driver is on his way. He is now 9,887 miles away. He'll be there soon. That happened. Kenny Newman, it was so wonderful to see you here in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, guys. And thank all of you listeners for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember, walk the walk. Thank you.
find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Massachusetts now requires you to recycle fluorescent and other mercury-containing bulbs. A tiny amount of mercury is an WHMP essential element in Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's a 